and welcome to a podcast that still needs a name. I'm David Brady, and I am a self-taught programmer who's been self-teaching for a couple of decades now or more. And today on our panel, we have uh, Swapnil Bosle. Hello. Welcome. Uh, we have Brian Perry. How's it going? Welcome, welcome. We have David Solano. Hey, glad to be here. Welcome. We have Adam Lopper. Hello from South Jordan. Howdy. We have Afton Call. Hello from Cottonwood Heights. And last but certainly not least, we have Tad Thorley. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Today on our docket, we want to talk about uh, kind of an interesting topic, uh, which is what self-taught and uh, self-taught programmers and boot camp graduates, what they miss. And... I just kind of want to open it up to the panel to see if anybody has an immediate, what is the opposite of a hot take? If anybody has a hot take, I'd like to hear it. If anybody has like opening shots fired that they want to throw out there, great. If Or if somebody has an initial comment. Does anybody want to take a stab at this? I, I have some <laughs> I have some questions I will ask if no one wants to volunteer. I think there's some categories mm-hmm. in terms of learning that we're talking about. So one is like a self-learned. You just started, you know, your kind of 1999 website and then grew that and, you know, grew your experience. Uh, there's a boot camp, which is kind of a shorter form of education, usually they're like four or six months. And then there's like a bachelor's and a master's and stuff. Because so, we're talking about what people might miss if they're going through a boot camp. Yeah, and I I wonder if that's like you talked about like getting a bachelor's or a master's degree or you know other like postgraduate work like getting a PhD. I kind of think of that as like getting a classical education. And the obvious thing that you end up missing is the general education classes, right? You 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 don't take you don't have to take American history, uh, you don't have to take uh, civics and economics, you you don't have to take PE. I just want to point out real quick that saying that you um, didn't get a degree. In computer science doesn't mean you didn't get a degree. Go to college and get that experience. Ooh. You could have done your computer science later and still had a different college degree. That's a I know point. I know a lot of developers who got degrees outside of the field of computer science who are excellent programmers. Right? Yeah, thank you for uh, pointing. I've that got out. I've got a, a buddy who got a journalism degree, and I think it actually has really helped him to do software development because he knows how to tease apart things, do investigation, really find out some core bits of what software needs, you know, interrogate people and <laughs> get the facts kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Like his background in trying to become a journalist and a reporter helps him with his interaction and getting all kinds of things set up for software development. I got my degree in music and then 10 years Later, after I graduated, took my first coding course online as a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling my children. So, took a very different path. That is fantastic. Thank you very much for bringing that up because the I, I have uh, said multiple times in my career. I've said this in conference talks. I've said this on Twitter. Almost without exception, every programmer I have ever worked with who has a bachelor's degree in mathematics or engineering, one of the hard STEM courses, and then went into programming, they are, without exception, the best programmers I've ever worked with. Especially the the folks with a math background, they have this ability to go to a whiteboard 
and express a really difficult formula or uh, like solve a difficult problem with a computer. And so like I, I literally worked with a guy who was trying to match sound waves, like literally on the oscilloscope, the, the, the sound wave that you could, we could watch the sound pressure go up and then drop off. And the speed at which the sound wave dropped off uh, was important. And the, how far down and up the sound wave was when the buffer cut off, all of that had to be matched at the start so that the line would continue on the oscilloscope unbroken. And we were generating these sound waves. So like he literally had the problem of generating that. He was a PhD in geophysics and uh, with a minor in mathematics. And it took him three days to come up with the mathematical proof of why what he was doing would work. But once he had it, it took him half a day to write, well, it took him probably two days to write the software. I would like to share my experience. Please. Um, I've been a bachelor's in engineering in electronics and telecommunication. I've been a Ruby developer right now. But in the past, you know, I was I used to like data structures. I used to like algorithms. I used to like, you know, coding on 8051. So basically, you know, I was more inclined towards coding. So after graduation, you know, I started with the boot camps. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about Code Academy. So mm -hmm. from there, I started learning Python. And after Python, as Ruby was mostly inclined with Python. So I started learning Ruby. And, you know, uh, I really liked, you know, uh, I started with device. And I really liked, you know, how device um, used to plug and play a login functionality, which is which, which is uh, doing right now as well. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's how my career path started. So it's not about, you know, uh, computer science engineer should be a software developer, but, you know, one, you know, which find a path or, you know, one which have an interest towards coding and it's more towards inclines towards, you know, algorithms can, you know, select the path of coding. That's mm -hmm. what I can feel. That is fantastic. I, I have a follow-up question for that. Earlier, I said that if you didn't have a, a college degree, you might have missed classical education. But you said something really, really interesting. You got a degree in engineering and communications and you said the magic word because I, I was I was starting to think that classic maybe what we the thing you might miss then are the classical computer science classes like you might miss data structures and algorithms or you might miss that horrible class where all you do is do sorting algorithms for the entire semester and at the end of it you just realize quicksort is the best just always use quicksort so you actually. You got a degree, and then you went to Code Academy, and then you actually said data structures and algorithms. Uh, Swapnil, did you have anything in particular where you actually sat down and had to learn like structures and algorithms, like formally or informally, self-taught from a book? Uh, we had a subject named as data structures, and in data structures, like you know, they used to cover arrays, linked list, trees, linear search, quick sort, bubble sort all these algorithms in C. And um, basically, you know, I learned that in my career. And from there, you know, I developed an interest in coding. That is fantastic. Uh, we have a, a, a latecomer to the podcast. Um, I'm going to mess up your name. I apologize. I'm going to do my best. Um, I know your first name is Shreya. How do you say your last name? Is it Bot? Yeah, but. But Shreya, but welcome uh, to the podcast. Uh, we are talking about today about uh, what things you might miss as a programmer, what things you, you might not learn if you are self-taught or if you went to a coding school. 
and we we haven't really well defined what the alternative is. Maybe you got it, but so far it's it's sounding like you either you you don't have a degree in computer science. What do you miss? And we do have some people here that have degrees in other things, and we have some people here uh, that don't have degrees at all, myself included. And we're kind of going around uh, talking about that. Can I ask Shreya what, what's uh, what is your computer science? Uh, portion of your background. Did you study it in school? Did you do an academy? How did you get here? I basically started my coding in college. I was basically a bio student. So coding was new to me and I started learning it from my college. I specifically didn't go for any courses. Awesome. I wanted to add something there. So I, I learned about programming in the university, right? So I have a bachelor degree in that. But what I wanted to say is that if you know how to do a program or you know how to program and you have like a degree in in something else like in physics or something that will boost you a lot uh, i was trying to learn like a few years ago how to do simulations of how the the have you said you, you talk about the about the sound right mm -hmm. i was trying to simulate how the water behaves in a glass and how you could you will be able to simulate that using all the physics that that involves depending mm -hmm. on the density of the water that you are trying to measure mm -hmm. and that's extremely crazy you you will probably you have knowledge about that and you know how to program it will be a lot easier for but for me that i didn't know anything about that was really difficult yeah it's one job that i had i was working on uh graphics cards uh we we had built this is right about the time the in that nvidia invented the geforce so prior to this nobody was doing 3d graphics in hardware everyone it was your computer had to do it all in software and we were working on a card that would do it in the hardware and it was you know you've seen the geforce it's wicked fast and we had an engineering team that wrote the device drivers for us. And then we had to write, you know, better device drivers because we were the software team, but they all had degrees in electrical engineering. And if you wanted to be a programmer on that team, you had to be an electrical engineer because they were talking about like phases of currents and, you know, Faraday linkages. And I'm making up terms now. It's, it's, it's you know, I need like a Star Trek uh, psychobabble generator or technobabble generator, right? But they would get into like how the transistors actually work and how much real time they need in the world to transition their magnetic fields. And I would just kind of look at them and go, I am so glad all I have to do is write software to talk to that. And if you want to be a programmer in a certain field, it is so much easier to get a degree in that field than it is to get a degree in programming and then try to learn the things in that field. Yeah. I had uh, some comments. I had this chemistry teacher in college who acted as if his class was the most important class we've ever taken. And he kept telling us that people complain, but I'm telling you, talk to me in 10 years, you're going to be glad you took this class. It will come up somehow in your job or whatever. And I always want to write him back and say, no, <laughs> it's never come <laughs> up. It was completely useless. I hated your class. And so I feel like the college route, you definitely have a lot of fluff because like American Heritage, I'm working for a financial tech company that's not relevant information. Um, a lot yeah. of those general classes don't apply directly to my work. I mean, they make me more well-rounded in like conversations and knowledge, 
but not really in my programming aspect. Yeah. It is actually really important to know the difference between nitrates and nitrites, and that has to do with the number of nitrates. I'm just messing with you. Huh. But sometimes we take a rounded thing, and then we walk into a programming situation, and with software, you can end up so upside down and like with lack of context, and you're you're programming a thing. And I, I've told this story before, but I had a bug report come in from a customer once that began with the sentence, fortunately, no one was killed, but, and that, that'll get your attention, right? And it was, it was the vibration uh, stuff where we were doing sound waves. What we were doing is we were, we were vibrating things and, you know, we, we had a little test stand that could vibrate a little, you know, like a pager or a cell phone to see if it would, if it would fall apart in the real world, you know, if it had any mechanical resonances. What, we weren't really clear and president to was the fact that our big dollar customers were vibrating entire cars and the military was vibrating tank bodies to see if the ammo crate would fall off the back of the tank, like that sort of stuff. And we had a bug that caused a little bit of a, a it caused a transient spike. Anybody over the age of uh, 30 or so on this podcast may remember a time when you would turn your computer on and your speakers would go pop really loud. Uh, this was that. It's just caused by just random noise in the line getting sent through a very powerful amp amplifier. Well, when you send a pop through a 75 kVA three-phase power system that is capable of throwing five tons around, you end up launching a Toyota Camry so hard that it bends the frame of the Camry. And everyone on the plant floor wore their brown trousers that day, whether they wanted to or not. I mentioned this in the context of general education because sometimes we get so hyper-focused. It's just a one. It's just a zero. It's clear. I click a mouse. I drag a button. There's no way this can hurt somebody. Right up until somebody in the real world connects your ones and your zeros to a machine that can launch a car across the room. Or in our case, uh, we we still have our podcast is entirely staffed by folks who work at, at, uh, at ASEMA. And that's great. But we, we work with financial instruments and there's always the possibility that we could ruin somebody's financial life if we write bad software. I don't see it happening a lot. It's not a huge risk. It's not something that we do, but it is something that like should be in the back of our mind that this is real stuff, right? It's, it's, it's fun, but it's not playtime. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, I have a question. So if someone has a four-year degree in computer science, computer engineering, something like that, versus someone who went to maybe a boot camp for six months and then has three and a half years of actual experience, you know, work experience, versus someone who just kind of picked up a laptop and started working in the industry for four years, how did those kind of compare? So they've all been working or like dedicated four years, but in different ways. Comparing two people are, is really difficult because I've met so many people. Like I've met someone, he's one of my best friends, Oz. He never went to, doesn't have a classical education. He never went to boot camp. He just picked up stuff. He just picked up a book, got part of the way through the book, got a job as a junior on JavaScript, and then was so fascinated. Now he's talking about like set theory and everything else, he learned all the academic stuff because he was fascinated by mm -hmm. it. At the same time, 
I've met people who kind of graduated with a four-year degree and this isn't their hobby, so to speak. It's not that they're bad programmers. They have some computer science knowledge, but they're not necessarily into it as much. And so they've learned some of the academic stuff, but they have no practical skills yet, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I think that's kind of, the, that's, that's a tough one to make the yeah. answer even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a friend that uh, is starting university right now in Germany and he's he's pulling his hair out because he has very little programming experience so he has the he doesn't have the real world to bring to it but they're throwing him into like computer science theory so he's doing like red black trees and sorting algorithms and he doesn't understand the theory and he doesn't understand the application so he's starting from scratch this poor guy and he's he's absolutely hating it. But yeah, wind him forward four years and he's going to have a good grasp of general theory. You could sit him down and say, you know, how do I sort this set? How do I guarantee that this is, you know, this is the way this is going to work? I think to touch to, to Adam's question, people, in my experience, that have come out of a boot camp and then jump straight into real world experience, if you go back to them four years later, if their passion is present, I worked with a, a, a fantastic programmer named Hannah at, at a previous job who came out of a boot camp and two years later she was every bit like I, I had absolutely no problem giving her a task uh, from the team like I if she was working on something I did not feel any need to backstop her or to check her work or any anything like that but it is also true that her experience was entirely centered around the business that that company did which was the healthcare sector. And uh, I mean, a lot of it's transferable, right? I mean, messages go in queues that everybody needs that, right? But like the meaningful business part of it is going to be a little bit focused. We do kind of see that some, or I do kind of see that sometimes. It really only hangs over somebody for like the first, I don't know, five to six years. And then once you're in the kind of like five to eight year programming, kind of the where you, where you would hire on somewhere as an intermediate uh, or a, you know, early expert level programmer, you've gotten both things. You, you've gotten the theory and the practice under your belt by that time. Yeah. Brian, I think you have a good point in that my observation is passion is paramount. It doesn't matter what someone's experience is. If they're excited to learn, they're going to be top of their, you know, whatever you hand them because they are hungry enough to figure it out, to learn. They have that excitement, that passion. So anyone with that, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter what their previous learning has been because they're going to learn whatever, you know, uh, anything that's relevant and in, in be in a good place. With four years, my observation is they don't have the real world experience. I remember when I came out of college, I had some like kind of academic things that didn't really apply in the real world. Uh, and they're like, oh, why, why do you think that? And it's like, oh, that's what the book said. <laughs> I think with someone with a boot camp, that's a great uh, exposure. It's just so short that compared to like a four-year degree, it's really focused. And so I think they really make it choose the most relevant. And it's a boot camp. It's, it gets you started and then you kind of continue your learning after it. I did notice when I was in college, I took different languages uh, in classes, Java, C, plus plus um, JavaScript. So various languages. I took a compiler class, a security class, a data structure. I, my first class, we actually wrote a simple program in machine code. So I feel like the four-year degree might give you some additional like big picture stuff. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's not as tuned, but I don't know if that's as relevant day to day. That might come up, you know, once every few weeks or few months of like, oh, yeah, that was actually useful to know. So that's kind of my take is that if you do it in a quicker way, great, because now you get you get a jump start. Oh, that's what I was saying is uh, the person who took a boot camp and then worked for three and a half years. So in equivalent time, they have three and a half years ahead of that college degree in the exact relevant experience. They're not taking American heritage. They're not taking, you know, English or kind of all these general classes mm -hmm. uh, which aren't relevant specific to the job. But I do feel like they might have some dark corners or blind spots because they haven't taken all those other, you know, classic computer classes, security compilers, operating systems, stuff like that. Yeah. There are a lot of things that are adjacent to, you know, like we talk about like things that are career adjacent or things that are conceptually adjacent. Basically, it's stuff that you you learn that as you're learning something or as you're doing something in your job, there are things next to your job or there are things next to uh, the stuff you're learning that turn out to be incredibly useful, you would not see if you had not gone down that alley. And so, like, I have no problem hiring somebody with, like, a degree in English as a programmer because I'm going to sit them down and say, I expect you to have a lot of adjacency into how to communicate with human beings. And I argue very passionately that source code is all about communicating with humans, not about communicating with the computer, because that's what the compiler is for, is to turn your human language into stuff for the computer. And so somebody with a degree that's like, you know, off into, you know, it's like underwater basket weaving. When is this ever going to become uh, useful? You never know. It's You run into these adjacencies and you're like, all of a sudden, oh man, I, I know how to write this uh, series of expressions in a way that's like linguistically satisfying and it ends up being code that feels really good to everybody else on the team, but it might not be any more efficient or any less efficient. What you're saying there, Dave, uh, Andrew Ng was uh, one of the luminaries in the AI field, says we need a lot of people who are doing AI plus X, where X is whatever career you're in. Mm -hmm. We need physicians who know how to code and can use that in their job. We need historians, right, who can go through the data that they, they work in and, and, and gather that information. We need biologists. We need, you know, even artists who understand how to code. That that adjacency is actually a big deal. The things that you bring that are not technical are actually some of the most valuable things I think you bring to your job. Yeah, that's fantastic. By the way, uh, those of you uh, who've been listening from the beginning, that's Mike Chalice. Uh, he's our director of engineering, and uh, his time is uh, often very well spoken for, so he couldn't come until just now. Welcome, Mike. We're glad to have you. There's a an image forming in my mind of what are the adjacencies that you're going to learn in a boot camp plus a couple of years versus in a in a college degree. And if if you walked into a wood shop and your job was to take down a log, take down a board, you know, a two by two plank, and your job was to shape it, like put it on the lathe or put it on, you know, take hand tools to it or whatever. The person who has the college degree in you know lumber mechanics is going to look at each of those logs and say, that's got knots in it. That's a poor thing. That was in a poor growth forest. We want to use that for structural, not for cosmetic lumber. They're going to know all this theory about it. But the person who went straight to a boot camp is going to pick up one log and say, I can feel the grain on this wood because on day one of the boot camp, they handed me a knife and told me to start whittling. And so I, I know how to listen to the shape of the wood. And 
I don't know if that metaphor is useful to anybody. It's like real clear in my mind, but <laughs> I should have got a degree in English to communicate better, I guess. The yeah. conversation has turned actually quite well into it. the thoughts I was having. Mm-hmm. I was thinking we've we've kind of been focusing on one particular aspect of developing, and that was writing code. But this conversation has steered into other aspects that make a good developer. And I was thinking, yeah, there's so much more that can make you successful. For instance, like I, I'm self-taught and the first skill I had to develop was how do you research and find answers to problems when at first of all, you don't even know maybe what the question is you're asking. You just have like this new task and you don't know enough to know how to ask the question, what words to use. And so you'd have to develop the skill of knowing how to research, how to problem solve, how to plan and organize and those are skills that you can definitely get from any other field, from classes and or just life experience. Mm-hmm. All those things are going to benefit you in those skills. And if you, um, in my opinion, since that's the, the route that I got into development, I feel like those skills have really helped me because I don't have as technical of a background from school, but I think I'm really good at getting the answers I need when I need them, or I have confidence that I can get the answers. And that I think is super valuable. That's fantastic. I saw a question go by on Twitter and I have a very strong opinion about the answer to this, but I want to open this up either directly to Afton or to the group. If you're in a job interview or if you're interviewing someone and the question, a question comes up that you don't know the answer to, is it appropriate in the interview to crack open Google and search for it. So just real quick, in my um, interview for my summer internship, that did happen to me. (laughs) I got asked a question I didn't know. And I said, can I Google it? I had my computer right in front of me. I was showing a project I'd been building. And he was like, sure, as long as you can find the answer. So Mm -hmm. I Googled it and I got the answer in, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that was fine in my scenario. Yeah. I ask this for a reason because I feel very, very strongly that my job every day is to find the answers to things as quickly as possible. So like Googling is literally a career skill. And so I would argue that it's not only appropriate to Google, but like it almost ought to be like an essential question as part of the interviewing process. Like, do you know how to find the answers to things you don't know the answers to? That'd be a fantastic interview question, right? Because it's literally a job capability skill. The difference I think sometimes we see between people who did boot camp. Uh, versus people who spent a long time in academia. In academia, you're never allowed to plagiarize. And therefore, Googling is evil and it's wrong and it's stupid. And this is where I think art students are the one college degree that have the biggest advantage because in art, you get taught to paint by looking at other paintings and trying to paint copies of them. But when we teach you to write software, we give you a math problem and we say, solve this, but don't you dare look at anybody else's software. It's one of the only disciplines where we don't let people study the existing work of other people. That's a habit you absolutely have to unlearn when you get out into the real world, because my job is to steal as much stuff as possible because my boss doesn't want to pay me to invent everything here. At least I think so. Mike? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I agree. Like, you both said some stuff that I uh, really thought before Afton said how she answered, I, th- I thought, you know, if somebody didn't know the answer, I would want them to say, can I Google that? And then that's exactly what Afton said. What you don't do is I, I interviewed somebody once who 
uh, I asked them to implement an algorithm. I think it was like write an algorithm that, that'll show the Fibonacci numbers. And they said, give me a minute. And then they they gave me this really weird implementation and I Googled it and they just copied it from Google and passed it off as their own. Yeah, uh, that's that's the bad kind of plagiarism, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. That's the bad kind of plagiarism. If that person I was interviewing had said, um, honestly, I'd probably Google it and and uh, come up with an answer. And here's, here's the answer that came back. It's a little weird. Here's how I would change it. I would love that answer. Mm -hmm. um, if you are upfront and honest, in fact, it's a huge red flag. If you were at a, a company and and they asked you and said, can I Google it? They're like, no, no, you, you shouldn't do that. I'd be a little bit worried because a surprising amount of job of every engineer is, is uh, revolves around Google. Mm -hmm. So we've been covering a little bit of like things that you need, whether you've gone through a uh, bootcamp or self-taught or whether you've gone through school, but I kind of want to pull us back to the original topic. Is there anything else that might come out of a classical education that people who are self-taught autodidacts or people who took a boot camp and just jumped in, what are some things that they're going to have to learn on the mean streets that they, they could have learned in the cloistered halls? One thing that I thought was interesting is we had to take ethics classes for our CS degree. Mm. And not everyone has to take ethics classes. If you're an art history major, you don't have to take ethics classes. But if you're a computer science major, if you were a business major... There was several other majors that were required to take ethics classes because I assume the idea is that what you do will have a lot of effects on people and you need to stop and think about what that will do or what will happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of my professors told us nobody's going to write a function that's called bomb Baghdad, <laughs> but you might write a bomb function that takes Baghdad as a parameter and not realize it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that was an interesting distinction. There's a, a thing that I'll throw out here when, this this might date me a little bit, but when, so I didn't graduate from, from university, but that doesn't mean I didn't try. And when I was at BYU, they spent an entire good portion of a semester, I don't know if, the, not the entire semester, but they spent a good portion of, of a semester in computer ethics talking about the Therac 25. If you don't know about it, go Google it. T-H-E-R-A-C, Therac 25. TLDR, if the software didn't work, they just printed up a number, like 72 was, and you're supposed to go look up in the in the manual that, you know, there's this this problem, this this radiation shield did not close, and that literally was the error and the programmers that wrote it never stopped to think that, oh, when the radiation shield isn't closed, the patient is being bombarded. They killed half a dozen people before they realized that they had written software that was indecipherable. You couldn't understand it. And so the nurses were doing their dead level best to operate the machinery, and they were killing their patients because the software was so terrible. That's kind of a bright chipper story, isn't it? Does that mean because they didn't know how radiation worked? Possibly. I, I, so this the, the Therac was back in the in the 1980s, and I think a lot of software was written. You wore you know t-shirt and jeans in an environment where business suits were the norm, and everything you did was just numbers on whiteboards, and nothing mattered. And so if the machine went into 
uh, one failure state, you know, like, oh, the, the, your password doesn't match. That's one failure state, and we should give you back an error code. And if the radiation shield is supposed to close, but it doesn't close, well, that's another error state. And the programmers never stopped to think one of these error states is way more serious than others. There's, there's actual risk to life and limb. They didn't know they needed to think about that difference. Does that make sense? And that literally was the point of that ethics class was to say, do you need to think about these, these human life and endangerment type of situations? I want to read really quick a paragraph from Wikipedia on this topic, <laughs> or just a sentence, mm -hmm. sorry. It says, the overconfidence of the engineers and lack of proper due diligence to resolve reported software bugs are highlighted as an extreme case where the engineers overconfidence in their initial work and failure to believe the end user's claims that cause drastic repercussions. Yes. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and we went through all kinds of scenarios when I was in school where we went to a, a lecture by one of our professors. He's like, the top 10 worst software failures. <laughs> and they resulted in like deaths and stuff like that, right? So the thing that I think my degree got for me was a bigger context of just what software development meant and what software engineering meant and the effects of what you're doing has, right? Whereas a lot of the bootcamp people are very focused in on their particular industry, their particular set of skills they need to do a task, right? But getting a bigger picture of things like, you know, we did order like big O notations and stuff like that. And I've talked to a lot of bootcamp folks and they, they don't think about like efficiency. They just know that I, I coded it up and it works and it did the job, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we were taught, you have to think about a lot of different things that are going into that loop or that sorting algorithm or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they'll come to it from the other direction, right? They'll, they'll get out into the real world and their program will be too slow. And they might not know the notion of like, oh, this, I have a big O, uh, you know, it's a linear big O and I don't like that. I'd like to reduce it, da, 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 da. They'll come at it from, oh, my Rails app has an N plus one bug in it. And it's it's really slow when the database is big. And yeah, they, they end up, I, I think maybe you touched on it, Thad. Uh, Tad, you said that um, they'll come out and they learn what they need to know to get the next thing done. It's a very goal-oriented type of learning where I think people with a classical education they learn things because their teachers tell them to, right? It's just, here's this generic principle. You're going to use it everywhere, so go ahead and learn it. Learn De Morgan's Laws, right? Yeah, we. I had some professors that actually tried to emphasize the science of computer science, right? They said, let's get into the, the nature of the science and the develop hypotheses, test things, do all sorts of stuff that you know you might do just as a scientist, but let's simulate that kind of stuff with computers. And that's not like get a specific task done. That's just try a bunch of different things and uh, see if your theory is correct. And it doesn't necessarily accomplish any goal other than you satisfied your curiosity. Yeah. So glad that we have so such varied experience on our team. So we can glean from other people's knowledge and skills and backgrounds and work together to like have this awesome team environment of learning yeah. and growing and making good code. Very much so. Yeah. You're here. I, I like that we, we started off like, what are you going to miss if you if you go this route? But we've really come to it from like, regardless of where you came from, what are we going to knit you together with? You know, it's like you, you have to come out of either environment and become part of a team and the team is going to look out for you and you have to look out for your team. 
I do have a question for anybody that is, it's for some of the, the newer folks on the team, is there anything that you feel like you missed? Uh, and, and this can be, those of you that, like, uh, that got college degrees, is there anything that you feel like you missed by not just jumping straight in and going to work? And if anybody did a, did a boot camp or is self-taught, is there anything that you really keenly felt as a, as a missing quiver in your, uh, or as a missing bolt in your quiver? Actually, I never feel that way. Uh, basically, you know, uh, when I did my engineering, you know, whatever we learn, I what I feel is, you know, we utilize it in whatever way we can. So anything you learn, if you learn communication, you know, you learn microcontrollers, what I feel is, you know, somewhere some, I, I can utilize that. Right. So mm-hmm. that's my thought about it. That's true. You don't know what you don't know, right? So you, you you have to focus on what you do know and what can I what can I build out of what I have? Yeah, that makes sense. I think we learn a lot when we start working in real world environment rather than learning in our university. When I finished university, no one wanted to hire me because I didn't have experience, and I was like, "Well, teach me." <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to learn more. At the end, I fall back into uh, into institution, which a university institution. So I didn't know anything about biodiversity, but I like a lot of, to be surrounded by uh, biologists and all that. And what I learned there is that if you don't know something, there's other people that will help you because they are experts in those fields. Uh, we as engineers or programmers, we probably don't know all the answers, but we can work with someone else to bring a solution to a problem. And that's something that for me is fascinating. and. I actually love that. Mm-hmm. I personally have experienced that if you can mentor under somebody, you will learn so much faster. There's a reason the apprenticeship program was invented, you know, thousands of years ago in blacksmith shops and alchemy shops around the world, right? It's just so, so powerful. I have one more question for the group. David, you, you touched on this really well about you had the degree, but you didn't have the experience and you're like, well, well teach me. When I have interviewed people, I go in looking for two things. One, you know, what is their skill level? What what do they actually already know? But I always try to interview for something else, which is can they think? Because I know when I hire somebody, I'm going to have to teach them how our software works. And I might have to teach them how to program on top of that, you know, depending on where their skill level is. But those are teachable skills. And I find that I cannot teach somebody to think. I have actually rejected candidates who were five to eight years into their careers and experts at programming. And I rejected them because I can't teach this person to think. Uh, I can't teach this person to listen to their teammate. I posed a problem. And when I nitpicked the solution, the candidate got angry at me. What are the ways, especially uh, this is for the, the, the senior folks on the call. Do you notice anything in the difference in the way people think? That have come out when they when the candidate is out of a boot camp or is self-taught versus coming out of a college degree. I've worked with a lot of people. The people with the college degree seem to have a, like a, a. It's like they come with a bigger toolbox. I'll say that if somebody comes with a big toolbox. They have a lot of tools they can draw from. But going back to what people said about passion, the, the people who are really curious might build their own tool, right, <laughs> and come up with something different. My dad is a woodworker. He's actually makes a lot of his own tools and uh, he doesn't have a university degree, um, but he's very creative and comes up with things. I feel like that 
people who don't necessarily have that toolbox are forced to use that creativity. And the, the passion will get you there one way or the other. The tools are useful, absolutely. But somebody who's willing to be persistent and push through it will uh, invent their own solution. So I'm more interested in the passion and curiosity, mm-hmm. especially, than I am necessarily in how, how big your toolbox is. Mm-hmm. I realize as you were talking about that, that there's, a, there's an inverse case to that, which is uh, here in the United States, we, we had, especially 20 years ago, it was expected of many kids that you'll you'll go to high school, you'll graduate, you'll go to college, you'll get a degree, you'll graduate. And there were people coming into the computer science field 10, 15, 20 years ago that they had no passion. They were just doing the next thing that was expected of them. And so they went up through the educational ladder and got a bachelor's degree. And these are people that end up in middle-level you know, enterprise corporations at a mid-level thing where they just kind of sit and just, you know, crank out a few lines of COBOL and they're just waiting until five o'clock so they can go home. And I think that's something I never, ever see out of somebody uh, who's been to a boot camp. Uh, if I interview a single mother who's put herself through a boot camp on top of working a day job, on top of raising her kids, I know this person has passion for the work. I know this person has got a full plate and has figured out how to make room on her plate. And I've never seen somebody come out of, I can't say never, I have seen some people come out of a boot camp that were just completely lost because they were so new, but I've, I've never seen that, well, I did this because it was what I was supposed to do. I've never seen that out of boot camps, and I have seen that out of, out of degrees. And those people find their own level, I think. I think we might be at a good uh, stopping point on this. Does anybody have a, a closing parting shot? I, I don't want to end on such a downer note. <laughs> I'll just say I I came here today expecting to have to kind of fight to defend myself (laughs) as a self-taught learner because this was what have I missed, you know, but it did not end up being that way. And that was refreshing for me. I came in with the same exact expectation and this call has surprised me. Afton, maybe you and I should go away and think hard about why did we come in with our guard up a little bit? Probably because we've been hit. Uh, a few times, right? So that'll have to be a topic for another show, though. We are we are definitely coming up out of time. I want to thank everybody for being on the show today. Tad, Swapnil, Brian, Afton, Adam, David, uh, Shreya, Mike. Thank you all for coming today. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>